0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B, and advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why, if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply.
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash switch.
0: Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. promoting rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: The following is a presentation of Morning Drive Media.
1: Well, all I hear all day long at school is how great Marcia is at this or how wonderful Marcia did that. Marcia, Marcia, Marcia.
3: Star Wars will forever be intertwined with George Lucas. After all, we can thank the Maker for giving us this galactic gift that 39 years later keeps on giving. But there is another. Lucas, that is, who worked on the original Star Wars trilogy. You may have heard about Marcia Lucas and her contributions to Star Wars. You may also know her because she was married to George until 1983. And it is after 1983 that Marsha disappeared from the public eye. There's not much trace of her on the internet, and details about her life and work are often forgotten or simply erased. Today, we're going to put together all the pieces we can find in hopes of seeing a more complete picture of Marsha Lucas. Who was Marsha Lucas both professionally and personally? How did she help shape the story of Star Wars? And where, oh where in the world, is Marsha Lucas now? We'll try to find out on this episode of The Jedi Beats. I'm your host, Jennifer Landa. Marsha Griffin was born on October 4th, 1945, in Modesto, California. Yep, that Modesto. However, unlike George, her childhood was not as idyllic as a Norman Rockwell painting. In fact, the only reason Marcia was born in Modesto was because it had a hospital near the Stockton Air Force Base, which is where her father was stationed during the war. Her parents had an on again, off again marriage that eventually led to a divorce when Marcia was two. Mae Griffin, Marcia's mother, moved herself and her two daughters to North Hollywood, where they lived with Mae's parents. When Mae's father died, They were forced to move into a small apartment, and May found work at a local insurance agency as a clerk. Marsha's father was pretty much non-existent during her childhood. He had remarried and was stationed in Florida, and he gave no financial support to his ex-wife and kids. May and her kids were all on their own, and needless to say, it was a tough time. Marsha only got two dresses a year, one for Easter and one for Christmas and the rest were hand-me-downs from her cousins. Life was not easy. But according to Marsha, It wasn't a sad bad time. We had a lot of love and a very supportive family. But economically, it was real hard on my mother." When Marsha was a teenager, she went to live with her father and his new family in Florida. That arrangement only lasted two years, and so she returned to North Hollywood to finish high school. After graduating, Marsha went to Los Angeles City College. She wanted to help her mother financially, so she got a job at a mortgage banking firm in downtown LA and took chemistry courses at night. As time passed, she realized mortgage banking was in her bag. Her boyfriend worked for a Hollywood museum and wanted to hire Marsha to catalog donated movie memorabilia. The only catch was that in order to get the job, she had to apply at the California State Employment Office for work as a librarian. Marsha did not get the museum job, but was instead sent to the Sandler Film Library, which was looking for an apprentice film librarian. The job only paid $50 a week, which was less than her banking job. But in her mind, working in film was much more exciting than working in the world of banking. Plus, there was no experience necessary. Producers looking for specific footage would place an order at the library, and then Marsha would search for shots that fit what they were looking for. So for example, if a producer wanted a shot of a Studebaker driving down a residential street, Marsha would search through stock footage, and if it fit their needs, she ordered the required negative prints. This process of looking through footage to find the right shot that will fit a scene is basically what a film editor does. Her skill as a librarian helped her to eventually become an assistant editor at the Sandler Film Library by the time she was 20, which is no small feat. In the 1960s, it was really difficult for a woman to break into Hollywood production, particularly as an editor. A commercial editor could make $400 a week and that type of money could give Marsha a pretty nice standard of living. But before she could get there, she'd have to be an apprentice and pay her dues. Marcia was a tenacious young woman, and so she began voraciously editing trailers and promotional films to improve her editing skills. Editing was truly her passion, and as she once said, I would have cut film for free because I enjoyed it so much. But her tenacity was tested when she faced discrimination from her male colleagues. She was told that girls couldn’t lift the cans containing 10,000 feet of film. Plus, everyone knew that editors talk like sailors, and that type of foul language was too much for a delicate woman’s ears. Meanwhile, in another area of Los Angeles, George Lucas was a recent graduate of USC School of Cinema. It was the fall of 1966, and he was working as an assistant grip on a documentary for the United States Information Agency. At that time, the USIA was putting millions of dollars in educational and propaganda films, and many USC students were hired to log hours of footage. Richard Dalva, George's friend from the USC cinema department, was working on a film about President Lyndon Johnson's trip to Asia.
0: Our goal is an honorable piece just as soon as it can be obtained. We'd like it tomorrow, next week, this very hour.
3: The editor of that film was Verna Fields, who was a veteran film editor and one of the few women in the male-dominated profession. When Verna Fields needed some extra help on the film, Richard recommended his old pal, George Lucas. Verna hired George in 1967, right when he was starting a graduate degree in film production at USC. George proved he was a capable editor, even if he did hate having other people telling him how to cut a film. You see, because this was a government film, there were strict rules editors had to abide by, like avoiding any shots of President Johnson's bald spot and making sure all footage was consistent with American foreign policy. Verna was inundated with USIA footage, so she decided to hire an assistant editor to help with the load. That editor was Marsha Griffin. George and Marcia did not take to each other right away. They were pretty much stuck together in a very small editing room in Verna Fields' house in the San Fernando Valley. George and Marcia did not take to each other right away. They were pretty much stuck together in a small editing room in Verna Fields' house. Verna's house in the San Fernando Valley was a casual environment where other USC students would edit and log footage. But George told biographer Dale Pollock, quote, Marsha had a lot of disdain for the rest of us because we were all film students. She was the only pro there. End quote. Indeed, she was hired to basically look over George's shoulder as he edited. She was a pro, experienced, and he was the least experienced editor there. Marsha knew more about editing than George did, but she was impressed by him. She told Dale Pollock, quote, he was so quiet and he said very little, but he seemed to be really talented and really centered, very together person. I had come out of this hectic commercial production world, and here was this relaxed guy who threaded the moviola very slowly and cautiously. He handled the film with such reverence. End quote. A moviola is a machine used for motion picture editing. Editors could study individual shots, which allowed them to determine more precisely where the best cut point might be. Editors would then cut and splice the film print together. The moviola would also bring George and Marsha together, but it would take months to splice that relationship. George eventually asked Marsha out on a date, and it was, well, it was just a date. George Lucas Sr. may have fallen in love with Dorothy Bomberger after spotting her in his high school history class and said, someday, I'm going to marry that girl. But George Jr.? Well, as he later recalled, quote, it wasn't that I saw her in the editing room and said, I'm going to get that girl. It was more like, this is another girl, and we'll have fun, and what the heck. I certainly never expected I would marry Marcia, end quote. The truth was, George had never really been in a mature relationship before, let alone found a woman he felt comfortable around. Most of his relationships consisted of going on a few dates, doing some hanky-panky, and that was it. George has admitted that before he met Marsha, his relationship with women was not very complex. It was more about animalistic attraction than a deep connection. George and Marsha's dates involved going to the movies, often taking in two movies in one day, one in the afternoon and one after dinner. Marsha and George shunned the Hollywood social scene and instead would spend their time happily griping about the film industry. George was a rebel filmmaker who wanted to buck the Hollywood studio system, while Marsha was determined to fight her way up the ladder to become a respected editor. The two may have come from different backgrounds, but they were cut from the same cloth. According to George, quote, we were both feisty and neither one of us would take any from the other. I sort of liked that. I didn't like someone who could be run over. End quote. One day, when George took Marsha home to spend Thanksgiving with his family, Marsha overheard him talking to his brother-in-law, Roland. You know, Marcia is the only person I've ever known who could make me raise my voice. Roland knowingly smiled at George. That's great, kid. Congratulations. You must be in love. Marcia was touched. George's family, including his mother, knew this was the girl their Georgie would marry. The Lucas family couldn't be happier. For George, there were now two people in his life that could make him angry. His father and Marsha. Marcia was a catch for George, She was beautiful, smart, obsessed with films, and a better editor than him. How in the world did he land this gal? George's friends wondered. She was also a real spitfire. According to George's childhood friend John Plummer, she was strong-willed and at times domineering. In many ways, Marsha and George were opposites. She was an extrovert who spoke her mind while he was quiet and reserved. George admitted they were different, but also very much alike. I say black, she says white. But we have similar tastes, backgrounds, feelings about things, and philosophies. One of the strongest bonds between Marcia and George was their love for film. Originally, George had wanted to move with Marcia to San Francisco and become an avant-garde filmmaker. This was not what Marcia had planned for her future, but she didn't mind San Francisco, and she was willing to take a leap of faith with a man she loved. But when George won a scholarship with Warner Brothers that would allow him to observe the studio's operation for six months, he jumped at the chance, so the couple remained in Hollywood. Marcia continued climbing up the ladder and working for commercial production companies while George did an apprenticeship with Francis Ford Coppola. Coppola became a mentor to George, and he eventually hired him to work on a small film titled The Rain People. George helped out wherever the crew needed it, but he had a lot of downtime, so he decided to film a documentary about the toils of making a movie. The documentary, Filmmaker, appropriately titled, is 30 minutes long and is considered still one of the best documentaries about the production of a film.
2: I was acting very irresponsibly, I mean, I was committing all my personal money, such as it is, uh, into the film, with no guarantee that we were going to make the film. So I stood to lose everything, really. Uh, It's not too much, because, you know, I figure uh, if you're not willing to risk some money when you're young, then you're certainly not going to ever risk anything in the years that follow.
3: The production of The Rain People, and his documentary, kept George in New York, which made the couple miss each other terribly. Marsha would eventually join him on location, and on a rainy February day in 1967, George proposed. Marsha said yes, and the two decided to get married as soon as The Rain People wrapped. Marsha and George edited Filmmaker together, and the result was a professional-looking documentary, even if he had been a one-man band with a shoestring budget. When Francis Ford Coppola began editing his film, The Rain People, Editor Barry Malkin needed help organizing the footage. George recommended Marsha, and Coppola agreed to hire her. There was only one problem. Marsha had just been offered a job as an assistant editor on the film Medium Cool by Haskell Wexler. If she took the opportunity, she'd get her first credit on a feature film and would be guaranteed a six to nine month job in Chicago. With Coppola's project, it'd only be five weeks worth of work in Nebraska. Of course, George was in Nebraska, too. Marcia told George she was unsure. George was stunned. Don't you miss me? He asked. Against her instincts, she followed her heart and took the job to be with George. After all, they were in love. And fortunately for her, when she finished her work on The Rain People, she was able to work as an assistant editor on Medium Cool After All. And she got the credit she had so badly wanted. George Walton Lucas Jr. and Marsha Lou Griffin were married on February 22, 1969, in a town just south of Monterey, California. Shortly after their honeymoon in Big Sur, they left Hollywood behind and rented a hilltop house in Mill Valley for only $120 a month. I know. San Francisco was nice, but job opportunities for Marsha were pretty much non-existent. All of her friends and family were in Southern California, so she was homesick. With no job opportunities on the horizon, Marsha told George she was ready to have a baby. George wasn't having it. In his mind, they had just gotten married. Neither one of them had a stable income, and he didn't want to feel pressured to take a job he hated because he had to support a growing family nope. Parenthood was not an option. So, instead of taking care of a baby, Marcia took care of George. He was frustrated with his career, so she encouraged him to help Francis Ford Coppola set up his film studio, American Zoetrope. That would prove to be a financially and emotionally draining experience. George may not have agreed with how Coppola did business, but he was able to make his first feature film, THX 1138, because of him.
1: All Earth Council, in its infinite wisdom, has decided these two numbers are to be disposed of. The Biochemical Forum has demands to make on their parts, however, before they are eliminated.
3: George and Marsha edited the film together for a year in their Mill Valley house. THX 1138 was a science fiction film, a political film, and a personal film for George, Primarily because it had been developed from his USC student film, Electronic Labyrinth THX 1138 4EB. It may now be a cult classic amongst Star Wars fans, but in 1971, THX 1138 was a commercial failure. American Zotrope was basically falling apart and sinking deeper into debt. At one point during this time, Georgia Marsh's savings had dwindled down to $2,000. But, George was sure his new film idea, American Graffiti, would be a hit. If only a studio would finance it. As we know, the film did get financed by Universal and was George Lucas' first mainstream hit. Filming and post-production on American Graffiti was an incredibly stressful time for George and Marsha. George wanted Marsha to edit the film, but the studio wanted someone with more experience. So, George hired Verna Fields, who, in his mind, could act like a buffer between him and the studio. She worked on the film for 10 weeks, just long enough to do a rough cut, and then passed the film onto Marsha and George to finish. There may have been a lot of drama behind the scenes, but American Graffiti has become one of the most profitable films of all time. It also made George and Marsha millionaires. In 1973, while George was busy writing his first draft of Star Wars, Marcia's career was taking off. She had been the assistant editor on Michael Ritchie's film, The Candidate, starring a young Robert Redford.
2: Will you give me the, that damn phone down and let's get this straight. I want to know what the hell this campaign is.
3: And in part because of her work on American Graffiti and a recommendation by Michael Ritchie, Martin Scorsese hired Marcia to edit his film, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. The film was released in 1975 and starred Ellen Burstyn as a recently widowed and aspiring singer named Alice, who, through a series of events, ends up getting a job as a waitress in a diner. Did you decide what you
2: want for breakfast?
0: First, I want a big smile.
3: Do, do you want eggs? While Marsha was editing the film on location in Arizona, George was growing lonely in NorCal. He decided to join her and holed up in the hotel room to continue writing Star Wars. As George continued writing, Marsha continued working. She loved the work she was doing, and had developed a good relationship with Martin Scorsese. He, in turn, trusted her and her ability, so he hired Marsha as a supervising film editor on his next picture, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver went on to get nominated for four Academy Awards and solidified the careers of both Robert De Niro, and Jodie Foster. The critical acclaim both Scorsese films received gave Marcia's confidence a boost. She was proving herself to be a great film editor, and she was proud to be a part of these important American films that Scorsese was making. She also knew that the only way she'd be taken seriously as an editor was if she expanded her filmography beyond her husband. She once said, quote, if I'm ever going to get any real credit, I'm going to have to cut a movie for somebody besides George. Because if I'm cutting for my husband, they're going to think George lets his wife play around in the cutting room." End quote. But her newfound success came at a price. Even though Marty filmed in New York, all of the editing and post-production work for Taxi Driver was done in Hollywood. This meant Marcia and George were separated for long stretches at a time. With Marcia gone, George was not happy. It was great that Marsha was making a name for herself, but when Marcia was home, she took care of the house. And George. When he worked late, she'd bring him breakfast in bed. She kept the house tidy. George hated cleaning. He would eventually hire a housekeeper, but Marcia was his partner, and also his supporter. Even if she didn't understand why he was so obsessed with the Star Wars idea. George Lucas relied on his friends and his wife as he wrote Star Wars. He bounced ideas off them, took their notes and rewrote sequences, and would tape record their comments and criticism. Some of his friends urged George to give up on this crazy idea with Luke's Starkiller and robots. He was ruining his career with this nonsense. The least he could do is hire a professional writer to finish the darn script. She didn't get it but Marsha was George's biggest supporter throughout the Star Wars process. She offered criticism if she didn't understand something, but as she said, quote, I'm real hard, but I only tell him what he already knows, end quote. Because she spoke the truth, George trusted her ideas and opinions. Marsha was also the only person that he felt comfortable venting his frustrations to. Part of that frustration came from the editor he had hired while on location in England, After George saw editor John Jimson's rough cut of the film, he couldn't believe it. The film was boring and lacked the energy and adventure that George had envisioned. George fired Jimson, and once George was back in California, Marcia started back at square one with the film. As he and Marcia started going through the footage, George became even more depressed. This was not the movie he had envisioned for the past seven years. I must admit, if you've seen the raw footage of A New Hope without the visual and sound effects, particularly the lightsaber duel between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader, it is a bit lackluster. I
2: was about to learn that I am the master. Only a master of evil, Darth.
3: George knew that how they edited this film was going to determine whether or not audiences would fall in love with Star Wars. But editing Star Wars was proving to be overwhelming. There was no way Marcia could tackle this alone, so George hired a second editor, Richard Chu. When it was clear the workload was still too much, he hired a third editor, Paul Hirsch, who had just finished editing Brian De Palma's film, Carrie. The three editors became a team, spending weeks standing at their moviolas, cataloging hours of footage, while George bounced from editor to editor, telling each one what he wanted done. There are two major scenes in Star Wars that Marsha directly influenced. The first is that scene between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader. The way it was in the original script was that Obi-Wan and Vader have their lightsaber battle. Then Obi-Wan hits a door, and the door slams closed, and they all run away, and Vader is left standing there with Egg, metaphorically, on his face. this was supposed to be a climactic scene, but George realized that there was no climax. So halfway during filming, George began to rewrite the scene, but he just couldn't make it work. Marsha had an outrageous idea. He should just kill off Ben Kenobi. George like the idea. It made Vader a greater threat, and it tied in with the idea of the Force. The second scene Marcia shaped is the final Death Star trench run at the end of A New Hope. George told Rolling Stone magazine in 1977, quote, I think it took her eight weeks to cut that battle. It was extremely complex, and we had 40,000 feet of dialogue footage of pilots saying this and that, and she had to cut through all that and put in all the fighting as well. Nobody really has ever tried to interweave an actual plot story into a dogfight, and we were trying to do that, however successful or unsuccessful we were." End quote. This scene was absolutely crucial to the success of the film. If each shot was arranged and strung together just right, it would make you sit on the edge of your seat. As Marsha told George, quote, If the audience doesn't cheer when Han Solo comes in at the last second in the Millennium Falcon to help Luke when he's being chased by Darth Vader, the picture doesn't work, End quote. Thankfully for all of us, that battle worked. And it is in large part because of Marcia's skillful editing. In January of 1977, the team finally had assembled a rough cut of Star Wars. Martin Scorsese, meanwhile, was begging Marcia to come to L.A. to edit his latest picture, New York, New York, starring Robert De Niro. Marty's editor had died, and he needed Marcia to finish his film. She needed a break from Star Wars, so she took the job and flew to L.A. to work on the film. Richard Chu and Paul Hirsch finished editing Star Wars, and Marcia would assist whenever she could. The winners are Paul Hirsch, Marcia Lucas, and Richard Chu for Star Wars.
2: This is a great honor, especially in light of the excellence of the competition this year. And I'd like to express my admiration for my colleagues, Marsha and Richard, who are not only great editors, they're great people. We had a director who, apart from his many other obvious talents, is himself a fine editor, George Lucas. Thank you, George. Thank you.
3: That was editor Paul Hirsch, speaking while Richard Chu and Marsha are proudly standing beside him. George did not want to go to the 1978 Academy Awards, but he wanted to support Marsha. The award represented how much she had struggled to establish herself in the profession and how proud she was to have her hard work recognized. It should also be noted that in 1978, before Marsha only five other women had won an Academy Award for editing, including Verna Fields for Jaws in 1976. To date, that total has gone up to 12. Marsha's contributions to Star Wars continued on Empire Strikes Back, which she helped edit, although she is uncredited, and also Return of the Jedi, which she co-edited. Another fun tidbit about a scene in A New Hope comes from Mark Hamill in a 2005 interview with Film Freak Central. Quote, I know for a fact that Marsha Lucas was responsible for convincing him to keep that little kiss for luck before Carrie and I swing across the chasm in the first film. Oh, I don't like it. People laugh in the previews. And she said, George, they're laughing because it's so sweet and unexpected and her influence was such that if she wanted to keep it, it was in. She was really the warmth in the heart of those films, a good person he could talk to, bounce ideas off of, who would tell him when he was wrong." End quote. luck. <laughs> Between 1978 and 1981, Marsha put her career on hold to be a wife and eventually a mother of their adopted daughter, Amanda. In 1981, George said, quote, I don't really know if she'll go back into editing, and she's a good editor. Usually the offers are to go to New York or to go to Los Angeles, and that's no fun for us. It's like six months apart, and coming home at weekends maybe. But once we get our facility up here, Skywalker Ranch, if a director wants her to edit, it will be much easier to convince him to do it up here rather than wherever he lives. The whole reason for the ranch actually It's just a giant facility to allow my wife to cut film in Marin County," end quote. Unfortunately, that plan never happened, and in 1983, George and Marcia filed for divorce. It does seem that the biggest thing that drew them apart was that after Star Wars, a new hope that is, George wanted to keep working at a frenetic pace while Marsha was ready to stop and have a family and enjoy the fruits of their labor. Here's what Marcia herself told Peter Biskin in his 1997 book, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Quote, I felt that we had paid our dues, fought our battles, worked 8 days a week, 25 hours a day. I wanted to stop and smell the flowers. I wanted joy in my life. And George just didn't. He was very emotionally blocked, incapable of sharing feelings. He wanted to stay on that workaholic track the empire builder, the dynamo, and I couldn't see myself living that way for the rest of my life. End quote. There are a lot of salacious details that have fed people's appetite for gossip about the Lucases. Some of them are that she received 35 to $50 million from the divorce. The exact figure is unknown. Or the belief that George raised their first daughter alone as a single dad, when in fact, they shared joint custody. As Marcia told writer Michael Kaminsky, quote, I might have left George, but I never left Amanda. End quote. Or that Marcia had an affair with Tom Rodriguez, a man who was a designer and production manager at Skywalker Ranch. George mentioned quote, the affair in an interview with 60 Minutes. But according to Marcia, it's just not true. Yes, she did end up marrying Tom, but She says that their marriage had deteriorated long before she developed feelings for Tom. Wherever the truth lies, we do know this. Marcia is nowhere to be found. Well, on the internet, at least. It is interesting how just because you can't find someone on the internet, it almost feels like they're dead. But Marsha is alive and well. Through my internet sleuthing, I discovered that since 1983, she gave birth to a daughter, Amy, in 1985, traveled to Paris frequently, she and Tom partied with Robin Williams and Harrison Ford, according to Tom, and has owned several real estate investment properties in Hawaii, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. Maybe someday, Marshall will come out of retirement and return to the business. I think her talent in editing is undeniable. It can and should stand independent from her ex-husband's work. They made a great team when they were together, but if Marsha were to return to the editing bay now, I would love to see the new stories she could weave together. Where in the world is Marsha Lucas now? Well, I imagine that wherever she is, she has stopped to smell the flowers. I would like to thank the Four Center listener who suggested this episode's topic. I could not find your name. I searched through my timeline and my Facebook, dear listener. But if it is you, please let me know so I can give you a proper shout out. And if you have a topic that you'd like me to tackle or you know Marsha Lucas's whereabouts, you can find me on Twitter at Jennifer Landa, hashtag Jedi Beat, or on my Facebook page. Be sure to subscribe to the Force Center feed to never miss a Jedi beat or any of our shows like the Force Center main show with Ken Knapsack and Joseph Scrimshaw and our upcoming live show of Star Wars Counseling at Stanley's Comic-Con. I definitely could use some Ewok therapy. You can find us on iTunes, Podomatic, or Stitcher. And if you like what you hear, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening and until next time, This has been The Jedi Beat.